In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Week brings with it names foreign to modern ears. Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil. The Easter Vigil, as the name suggests, is a careful watching, as when we say to someone, be vigilant. The Easter Vigil is a service of careful watching for the resurrection of our Lord. And it brings us to the high point of the entire church year. So we've moved our Easter Vigil service here at Faith to this coming Saturday, to Holy Saturday evening, so that more can experience its joy and beauty. Good Friday is strangely named because on this day we remember the most evil and terrible event of all human history, deicide, mankind's murder of God. And yet we call this Friday good because God has used this greatest of all evils in order to work the greatest of all goods, that by the shedding of his own blood, atonement would be made for the sins of man. And tonight, we observe Maundy Thursday, a name that has been in use since the seventh century. It comes from the Latin word mandatum, from which we get mandate or commandment. We shorten mandatum to Maundy, recalling the new commandment that Jesus gave on the night when he was betrayed. A new commandment I give to you, he said, that you love one another as I have loved you. This night of Maundy Thursday begins rather strangely with Jesus rising up from supper to wash his disciples' feet. We may recall that Moses once drew near to the burning bush where God instructed him to remove his sandals, for this is holy ground, he was told. And so Jesus washes his disciples' feet in preparation for what was to come not merely to stand in the presence of God as Moses had done, but to enter into holy communion with God. What else does the washing of the disciples' feet mean? The most simple answer comes to us from Jesus himself. This was done as an example for his disciples to follow, of the greatest serving the least of selfless and self-sacrificial love for one another, and of showing hospitality and serving one another. Given our cultural circumstances, including modern footwear, the ability to shower frequently, and the like, washing feet is no longer a part of hospitality and no longer a service needed. Thus, the church has used our Lord's example as just that, an example of hospitality and service that now take different forms. Of course, many have noted that even in the way in which our Lord speaks and the words that he uses, there seems to be more here than meets the eye, especially when our Lord says to Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Some see here an analogy to baptism and absolution. Having bathed, that is, having been baptized, one is clean already. The washing of the feet is analogous to absolution, final preparation for the table of the Lord. 
This certainly fits with the historic practice of the church that a baptized person be examined and absolved before coming to the Lord's table. One can see, too, in the actions of Jesus, a kind of image or picture, an embodiment of his incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. As he lays aside his garments, as if laying aside his full majesty, and as he descends in the form of a servant, we glimpse the incarnation as he kneels and performs the humble and dirty and laborious task of cleaning his disciples' feet, taking their dirt upon himself in order to cleanse them. We glimpse the labor of his cross by which we are cleansed. When his task is complete, he rises again, as in the resurrection. And as he takes up his garments, as if taking up his full majesty once more, and returns to his place, he communes with his disciples, and thus we glimpse the ascension. So whether one is thinking about the foot washing in a very simple way or in a deeper way, nonetheless, all meditations lead to the climactic words that Jesus speaks. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. If you've ever questioned this and what Jesus means by a new commandment, you're not alone. In fact, great minds think alike. None less than St. Augustine himself asked this question. But was not this already commanded in the ancient law of God, where it is written, you shall love your neighbor as yourself? Why then is it called a new commandment by the Lord when it is proved to be so old? And Augustine goes on to give us a beautiful answer. Christ has given us a new commandment that we should love one another as he also has loved us. This is the love that renews us, making us new men, heirs of the New Testament, singers of the new song. It was this love, beloved brothers, that renewed also those of olden time, who were then the righteous, the patriarchs and prophets, as it did afterwards the blessed apostles. It is this love, too, which is making and gathering together a new people, the body of the newly married spouse of the only begotten Son of God. Because of this, the members thereof have a mutual interest in one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. For this they hear and observe, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, not as those love one another in a way that defiles one another, nor as men love one another in a merely human way. But these love one another as those who are small g gods, and all of them sons of the highest, and brothers, therefore, of his only Son, loving one another with that mutual love wherewith he loved them. Thus far, Augustine. 
and I doubt a more beautiful explanation could be given. I will simply point out that this love comes to its fullness of expression in what our Lord institutes in Holy Communion, for it is His love for us on the cross that flows into Holy Communion. The Lord's Supper, then, cannot ever be just me and Jesus, but is always Jesus with me and with all the others gathered, and I too with them, where we are to love one another as he loves us. And how does he love us? By treating us, by treating our sins as if they were his own by suffering us without complaint, by laying down his own life on our behalf, and by forgiving us all things. And how desperately we need that forgiveness. As we look inside ourselves, we see nothing but sin. As we look outside of us, we see nothing but others who are disappointed with us. And indeed, we are disappointed with ourselves. And so we come to his table this very night. And there he greets us, not as one disappointed, but as one who loves us perfectly and embraces us with his forgiveness and shares with us himself. Of course, forgiveness is at the heart of the Lord's Supper. And yet, the Lord's Supper is also more than a mere vehicle by which forgiveness is dispensed. It is the very essence of how Christ loved us, and therefore also the essence and source of our love for one another. As you gather around the altar tonight, it is your eternal brothers and sisters who gather with you. What could be more fitting than to ask, how can I love them more and show my love and hospitality to them? and serve them in true joy and humility, these dear people for whom my Lord Jesus has shed his blood and with whom I will spend all eternity. Just as many grains make one bread and many grapes one cup, so we are gathered into one with one another and with our Lord. This is why our Lord took one loaf and gave it to all. This is why he took one cup, his cup, and gave it for all to drink. Holy communion with him is holy communion with one another. The two cannot be separated. We love one another because he first loved us. And we love one another as he has loved us. And it's worth saying again, at the very heart of his love is forgiveness. Forgiveness flows from the cross to the chalice, to you, to your brothers and sisters gathered around. And how vital this is. In another place, our Lord warns that as time goes on, the love, for the love of many will grow cold. So, in response, we commune all the more and pray that through this blessed sacrament, our Lord would strengthen us in faith toward him and in fervent love toward one another. Love one another, our Lord says, as I have loved you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.